Yeah, just use that stand right there. The music stand will be perfect. Yeah, that'd be good. Hi, good morning. You guys have your Bibles? Amen. iPhones don't count. That's an easy way to text in church. I'm just teasing. Everybody uses iPhones now. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beautiful, thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I have, uh, I have several Bibles on my phone and iPad. I, I, still like, I still like this. I don't know why. It just I, makes me feel more spiritual, I guess. It's great being with you, everyone. Um, we, uh, we've been in 26 or 27 states since uh, January. Um, my wife and I are itinerant now, full-time, crisscrossed the nation in a uh, 31-foot rig with a 12-pound dog. And, um, yep, she's not with me now. We're in the process of moving, and we're downsizing. We've been in our house for 22 years. And we're actually moving in with my son and daughter-in-law. I figured, you know, he lived with us for 18 years. We're going to live with him for the rest of our lives. And uh, <laughs> it's only fair. Stand at his refrigerator and say, what's in here? But they bought a large house on five acres, and it has a mother-in-law suite. And uh, so it's an apartment, actually. And so it's, it's separate, but yet under the same roof, kind of a deal. And it's, uh, it just serves us well. We're going to be on the road 300 nights next year. And, and so we're not home all that much. And so um, we decided to uh, downsize. So that's, that's our story. Cindy's home in that process of moving. We only have just a few weeks home. And uh, so she's taking a few days, and we'll meet me in Evansville next week. So... Um, so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in just a moment, but, but um, there's an interesting contrast that, um, that, I, that I have been, uh, I guess, captured by. Um, in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into Ephesus, and he finds 12 guys there, and they're disciples. And so the first question Paul asked these 12 guys is this, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, I think that's a great question. Not what church do you attend? Not what denomination are you? Did you go to school? Do you have a degree? Did you go to Bible college? None of that stuff, not your pedigree. That doesn't matter. Paul asked what I believe to be the central question that I think we all ought to ask ourselves, have we received the Holy Spirit since we believed? Amen. Well, these guys look at Paul, and they're baffled. They say, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Holy smokes. This is 20 years after Pentecost. This is 20 years after the Spirit had been dispersed on the church, and these guys are standing there dumbfounded, wondering if there really is a Holy Spirit. It's kind of funny because I crisscrossed the nation. I started in 2009, and I've gone into a lot of churches and started talking about the Holy Spirit, and I sometimes get strange looks from people's faces like, there is a Holy Spirit? There really is a Holy Spirit. Amen? There really is. There really is. These guys didn't know. Then Paul said, well, then into what have you been baptized? I mean, if you're believers, what, what do you believe? And here's what they said. They said, we were baptized under John. That's John the Baptist, gang. That, that's Old Testament. That, that's, that's Old Covenant. And, and what's interesting is, is they're in the New Covenant with an Old Covenant mindset, which is parenthetical of anyone who tries to operate without the fullness of the Spirit they're in the new covenant, but they still have a religious paradigm because they're trying to operate with Old Testament ideas in a new covenant framework. It doesn't work. Well, you know what Paul did, Acts 19. He told them about Jesus. They were baptized in Jesus, and then he laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Wonderful story. So now contrast that with when Paul was in Galatia. And, and he says this, Galatians 3, verse 1, he says, he says who bewitched you? And, and that word bewitched means um, who, 
who got into your head, who, who jacked with your thinking, who, who messed with you, who enchanted you, see? Because here's what he says, uh, Galatians 3.3, 3, you started in the Spirit. You, you started, you had an understanding of what it was to operate in the Spirit and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. You started in the Spirit, and here's what he says, but now you're trying to end in the flesh. Now, I think the first scenario is pretty devastating in that we can operate for years and never know there's a Holy Spirit. However, I can at least understand that there is a bit of ignorance on the fullness of the Spirit. But when I come to the second one and I look at Galatians 3, I'm very concerned about that one, gang, because that tends to identify a lot of movements and denominations that started off in the presence of the Spirit. They started off in the fullness of the Spirit. They started off walking in the, in the power, in the radiance of God's glory. But over a course of time, they begin to drift from the Spirit into the strength of their own flesh. Isn't that sobering? Do you realize that every mainline denomination that is a hundred years old or older is either plateaued or in decline right now? Do you know the Church of the Nazarene in the United States has not grown in the last decade? In fact, even in spite of the churches we've planted, we've lost more than what we have brought in. We're in decline, gang. Every denomination, in fact, the only religious sect that is growing is Islam. Isn't that sobering? And so Paul, like, is, who bewitched you? Who got into your thinking that you started off in the Spirit, but now you're ending, you're being perfected, you're trying to mature in the flesh? Sobering. Keep that in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, to the church. I love that. To the church. You know what church is? Is ecclesia. It's, it's a term that literally means called out to make a societal transformation. It's, it's, in fact, the term church is a secular term. It, it actually referred to a militant group that was going to make a change wherever it was posted. And, and I think that's, that should be a picture of the church, right? We should make a transformational change wherever we are. I don't want to stand before God and be accused of false advertising. See, that went well. Anyway, to the church, to the ecclesia, to the church of God in Corinth. Now, check this out. To those who have been sanctified. I love that. We believe in sanctification, don't we? To those who are sanctified. The word set apart, consecrated, made holy, made right with God. To those who are consecrated, set apart, devoted to God. Those who have been sanctified, made holy by the power and the presence of God sanctified in Jesus Christ. Look at this, saints by calling. Saints. You know what a saint is? A saint is not something you put on your dash and drive around town in. No, a saint is you. You're the saints of God. Or your people say, I'm just a sinner. Where do you get that? We are saints. If we're in Christ, we're saints. We are saints of the living God. You know what a saint is? It comes from a word that literally means to carry the radiance of God's glory. We, as God's people, set apart the church who are sanctified, are saints. We are to carry the glory of God's presence. Everywhere we go, the presence of God's glory is to be seen. Isaiah prophesied that in chapter 61, 2 and 3. Arise and shine, for the light has come. The glory of God is risen where? On you, we're the carriers. The glory is not meant to be in a box carried on the shoulders of priests, the glory is meant to be carried on you. You are to carry the glory. Amen. That's a saint. That's a saint. It's just incredible. To the church of God at Corinth, to the church of God in Muncie, it, it's, it's all the same. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Look at this. Grace to you, verse 3, and peace from our God, Father, 
Lord Jesus Christ. I thank, verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you were not lacking in any gift. The word gift there means a manifestation of the Spirit, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now I read that, and I think, man, this is marvelous. What an incredible introduction. What an incredible introduction to this church. Okay? Now, go over to chapter 3. And, and, and look at verse 1. And I, brethren, and you know what brethren is. It's rooted in the word Adelphos. That literally means those who are in Christ. Family. Those who come from the same lineage. And I, brethren. He's not talking to to unbelievers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the ecclesia. He's talking to men and women who are in the faith. And I, brethren, now look at this, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, women. That's a very fascinating statement. It's, and, and, and he's not like hostile. You could actually turn the phrase around to, to, to be said it this way, to said this way. I wanted to talk to you as spiritual. I wanted to address you as spiritual men and women. Now, that's very fascinating. The word spiritual is the word pneumaticus. It's, it's an interesting word. It comes from the root word pneuma, and pneuma is where we get the word for spirit. Every time we say Holy Spirit, we're actually saying Holy Pneuma. Pneuma. Pneuma is a word translated breath, air, breeze, wind. When we say Holy Spirit, we're actually saying Holy Breath. We're actually saying holy breeze. Have you ever sung the song, he is the air we breathe? He is. Genesis 2 verse 7, he breathed what into us? The ruach, the breath of God. We became live beings the moment God spoke because his breath is life. John 20, 21, he breathed on the disciples and they received the breath, the spirit of the living God. So here's the idea. When we say pneuma, we are saying breath. When you put that into this word here, this word literally means something that is, watch this, natural, influenced by something supernatural. That's the word spiritual. Something that is influenced by the breath, the breeze, or the wind of the Spirit. Something that is influenced by the Spirit. Pneumaticus is an interesting word. But you've probably seen the concept. If you've ever taken your car to a garage and they put it on a lift and they take the lug nuts off, they take the lug nuts off with a special wrench. It's called a pneumatic wrench. And it spins very fast and it makes a noise. It goes, Isn't that pretty good? So what did you learn in school? Nothing. Just how to make noises. That's how it does. Spins off lug nuts real fast, like just a matter of seconds. Takes them right off. Okay, that wrench is called a pneumatic wrench. It doesn't work by electric. It doesn't work by battery. It works by air. Compressed air blows through that wrench, and that wrench functions. Here's the idea, gang. We're to be like a pneumatic wrench. Craig Wrench told me, this is for me. This is my friend. His last name's Wrench. He said, this is me. This is all of us. Now watch this. A pneumatic wrench is incapable of doing anything on its own. A pneumatic wrench has no capacity to function until air begins to blow through that. Now you get the idea of what Paul's talking about here when he uses the word spiritual. He is literally identifying people who have the capacity to do nothing until the spirit of the living God begins to influence them. Guys, can you imagine what your life would be like if every single moment of your day the Spirit of the living God was blowing through your life and all of a sudden something natural became something supernatural because the manifest presence of God's Spirit was blowing through you? You know what we read in the book of Acts? 
We read a church that was influenced solely by the Spirit of the living God. There's a phrase, it's called pneumocracy. It means a government under the Spirit. The New Testament church was a church for 70 years, we read in the history of the book of Acts, a church that was influenced solely by the breath, the wind of the Spirit of the living God. The church has got to be influenced by the breath of God, gang. Or we don't have any hope. You think about that. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter's standing there before a dude who's been there for 40 years. And the guy's wanting money. And what does Peter say? He says, I don't have silver or gold. He says, but what I give you, I give in the name of Jesus Christ. And what did he give him? He released what he was most full of. And what was that? Holy Spirit. Do you realize you give away what you're most full of? Everywhere you go, you give away what you're most full of. If you're filled with fear, you release that. If you're filled with anxiety, you release that. If you're tense and stressed, you release that. I'm here to tell you, you give away what you're most full of. And Peter says, I don't have anything else, but I have Holy Spirit. Poof, and the guy walks. Isn't that awesome? How about Acts Five, verse 15, Peter's walking down the street, just walking down the street. So many people are coming to faith. They can't get people to Pastor Pete to pray for him. And so they come up with an idea. Hey, I got an idea. How about let's just, let's just bring people near him. Let's just put them on cots and beds and just get them near him. So at least the shadow, think about this, the shadow of Peter could fall on these people and they'd get healed. And they did. I looked up the word shadow. Guess what it means? Shadow. I'm a word nerd. And that's all it means, the shadow. It's like, ah, that, that's not real impressive. Here's the impressive one, is it's not the shadow. It's the shadow might fall on people. I looked up the word fall. It's a compound word. It's used another place in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, when Mary's standing before the angel of the Lord, and she says, how in the world am I going to get pregnant? I'm, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm not been with a man. And here's what the Lord says. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is going to, you guys got it, fall, overshadow, efischiazo, land on you. The idea is, is that the spirit of the living God is going to move on you in such a way that it's going to stir up life in you. That's the same word used in Acts 5 verse 15 when Peter's walking down the street and he's so filled with the Holy Spirit that when he walks down the street, what is on him falls on people and it moves on them and they begin to get touched. Now i got to be honest with you, in describing that, in modern culture, I get a lot of blank stares because it's so far from what we can actually fathom that it sounds ludicrous. But I'm here to tell you, gang, that you can release the manifest presence of God in such a mighty way people around you can get touched by what you carry. Come on, man. guy by the name of Charles G. Finney walked into a factory in Utica, New York. Man, he was just preaching a meeting. That's all he was doing was preaching a meeting. And, and he walked into a factory, a cotton factory, because he knew the owner. And he wanted to invite the owner to come to the meeting. Finney walks into this factory. And people start looking at Finney. True story. And they begin to kneel down at their machines and start to weep because the conviction of God falls on them and they have to shut the factory down because so many people are weeping in conviction of sin. What happened? One man walked into a factory carrying the manifest presence of God. When? When was the last time someone mistook you for the manifest presence of God? They looked at you. When was the last time someone walked into the arena of this church and were healed? When was the last time someone got touched by the divine presence of God? Or when a deliverance took place because someone walked in with bondage, but they came into an atmosphere where the presence of God was being released and it fell on them and transformed their lives? That's normal Christianity. But gang, the church in modern America has so dumbed this down to the religiosity of what we can do in the flesh, we've lost sight or even vision of what could happen when the manifest presence of God's glory blows through our lives. Come on, man. Come on, get a vision for this. 
And you know what's sobering to me? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, he says, perilous days are coming in the last times. You know that perilous days, difficult times are coming, he says. And then he identifies some of the characteristics in verses 2, 3, 4. But then he says this in verse 5. He said, now check this out. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, he says, he says, having a form of godliness. You know what the word form is? It's structure. Having a structure, having an agenda, having, having the appearance, if you will, of everything that looks godly. You've got the icon, the cross, you sing the songs, you've got everything. It's, it's having the structure of godliness, but Paul says there's something wrong. You've denied its power. You know what the word deny means? To disavow, to break union with. There's churches all over America right now that are breaking union with the manifest presence of God's Spirit. They're disavowing from the dunamis power. They're disavowing. They're breaking union with the power, the manifest miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what's sad, gang. Listen to this. Is if we push away the power of the Holy Spirit, we simultaneously welcome the power of the enemy. You know, what, you know what churches are? So many churches now are filled with demonic oppression and bondage. People can't get free of addiction. How much lust are we going to deal with in the church of Jesus Christ? How, how much addiction are we going to deal with? How, 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 how much poverty-stricken mindsets are we going to just tolerate in the church? Because we haven't allowed the manifest presence of God's glory to come in and to break all that stuff. But if you push out the power of the Spirit, you welcome the power of the enemy. And I've learned this. Every church in America has power in it. The question is, is what's the source? Everybody okay? You guys coming back tonight? Some of you are like, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. I'm not mad. I'm encouraged as to what can happen when churches truly get revived. And I'm not speaking directly to you, but generally to the church of Jesus Christ. I'm just simply saying the church needs an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need it, gang. We need it. It's nothing to be fearful of. You know, it's interesting, back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul identifies Janus and Jamborees. Janus and Jamborees in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Who in the world are Janus and Jamborees? Do you remember when Moses came into the courts of Pharaoh and says, hey, let God's people go? Remember that? And he started doing these miracles, right? Do, there were two sorcerers that came into the courts of Pharaoh and began to carbon copy the miracles that God was doing. Janus and Jamboree, except for they weren't doing it through the power of God. They were doing it through witchcraft, divination. They were doing it through sorcery. Janus and Jamborees were the ones who, who divined the, 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 the dark spirit to manifest some of the things that Moses was doing in the power of God. Why would Paul mention Janus and Jamborees in the same context of pushing out the power of the Holy Spirit? Because here's the idea. If we push out the power of the Holy Spirit, we welcome Janice and Jamborees right into the church. I can't begin to tell you how much witchcraft is in the church. Sorcery. Jezebel spirits. Manipulation. Control. Offense. It's just, it's sobering. It really is, gang. We need the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that this life, pneumaticus, this word spiritual, is something we should actually desire. It's not something we should run from. People come up to me and they say, yeah, I just want God. I don't want all that other stuff. No, I want everything. I, I don't get that when people say, I'm just seeking his face. No, I want his face, his hand, his feet, his knees. I want everything. I, what, why would we slice God up like that? I want everything that he has. So 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly. If you had the King James, it would say be jealous for. Be jealous for what? Spiritual. The supernatural. The spirit blowing through you. Are we good? Check this out. Paul says, I, I, I couldn't speak to you that way. 
I wanted to. I wanted to. My heart was to speak to you about people who are explosive, people who are empowered by the Holy Ghost, people who were flowing in the presence of God. Look at this. But I had to speak to you as what? 1 Corinthians 3, 1. What's he say? Men of flesh. Men of flesh. That's the word sarkinos. And here's what it means. It means something natural being sourced by the flesh. Do you realize that every one of us in this room are going to be sourced either by the spirit or by the flesh? It's a sobering thought. Every one of us in this room are either going to be sourced by the spirit of the living God or are going to be sourced by the flesh. How do you know if we're being sourced by the flesh? Well, obviously... There's no miraculous power in your life. Your life is rather mundane and dull. But Paul actually says here, infants. He uses the word infants. It's not a baby Christian. It's not a young Christian. The word infants there refers to a believer that never grows up. Have you ever been around believers that never grow up? I mean, not here, but back in Columbus where I live, they're all over the place. Believers that never grow up, they're they're immature. They don't have that maturity for the things of God. They're immature. And because they're immature, they're easily offended. They're easily upset. Things don't go their way, then they get mad. You know the number one reason why people leave churches, don't you? They get offended. If you leave this church offended, you leave the next one offended. It's never the church. It's you. Amen. It's not the church. I don't like the music. I don't like the lights. I don't like the carpet. I don't like the seats. I don't like the children's program. Well, the, the, the deal is none of that stuff. It, the deal is you. you. You haven't grown up. Offense. It's huge. It's immaturity. It's rampant within the church, immaturity. Let me share just another thought or two with you. Um, in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer, the writer says, well, here, I'll just look at it. Look, I'm not, I'm not making this up. So check this out, Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to turn to this. Check this out, Hebrews chapter 5. Look, look, at, uh, like look at verse 12. Like, look at verse 12. This is very sobering to me. I remember reading this. You ever read the Word and, like, you've read it a hundred times, but then you read it and all of a sudden it's brand new for you. That's, I did this. I was reading this. I was reading this. I've read this many times. And all of a sudden I was reading it and it started to read me. So, like, Hebrews 5, verse 12. For by this time, the writer says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Look at this. You have come to need milk, not solid food. He's talking to believers who have digressed. They haven't matured. They've actually digressed into immaturity. They should have been eating meat, but they had to digress and eat milk. Could you imagine... That in your own life today, after the service, instead of getting a filet, you have milk out of a bottle? Guess what's for dinner? Milk. Formula. Whoa. Seriously? We typically don't digress in the sense that we need to drink milk, but Paul's referring to the spiritual. And there's people who, if they are not increasing in the things of the Spirit, they actually start to digress to where they need to be fed with milk instead of meat, spiritually. The writer says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You know what's sobering to me is if we were to take the mic and hand it to believers in this church... 
Could you teach? Could you exhort? Could you prophesy? Could you speak over this body of believers? I go to places and people are like, who've been to the church for 40, 50 years. Well, I couldn't do that. Why not? You ought to be teachers by now. The word teachers refer to someone who becomes so trained in the things of God, they're able to impart that to others. Look at this, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. What's that mean? Not accustomed means it's not palatable. Here's what I have found is that sometimes I go into churches and I teach like this and people get mad. They get upset. Can you believe my picture is not in everybody's wallet? It's really not. I get get fan mail. I've had to read letters sometimes with asbestos gloves. Well, I, I, it doesn't matter to me, but my, 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 my point is this, is people who are digressing, people who are not growing in the things of the Spirit, people who are not maturing and increasing in the manifest presence of God's glory, what happens is they begin to digress. See, we never reach a plateau. How you doing? Ah, I'm just in a plateau. Not true. You're either growing or dying. There's no plateau in the spiritual life. It doesn't work that way. So you're either pressing in or you're falling away. If you're not more what you need to be spiritually than you were last year, gang, you're backsliding. If you're not on fire this morning, listen, you're backsliding. There's no neutrality. There's not like a resting place here. I'm telling you, we're either pressing into the things of God or we're falling away. And the writer says here, he says, people who are digressing, He says, not only do they fail to become the imparters of instructions to others like they should, he says, they're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You start teaching the real truths of God's word, and they look at you. They don't like it. That didn't make sense. I mean, we talk about laying hands on the sick, casting out demons, cleansing lepers, and raising the dead. And I have Nazarenes look at me with their eyes crossed. When our movement started off as a movement of purity and power, in our archives are stories of people getting healed and delivered, tent revivals in the early 1800s where the power and the glory of God was so thick that multitudes were healed and delivered even before they went into the tent. Gang, I'm not trying to pull back nostalgic days, but I certainly want the weighty presence of God's glory and the manifest presence of His Spirit to begin to blow through the lives of people in churches across America. We've got to have His Holy Spirit. We really do. We're a dying breed without it. The church of Jesus Christ is not going to survive the tyranny of the hour. We have got to have the weighty presence of God's glory and His Spirit moving through us. Or we're in trouble. I almost chuckle and I'm going to, I'll wrap up. You guys know, you know, I don't bring revival in my briefcase. I really don't. I'm just a different voice. That's all I am. You've had great teaching for over 20 years. You, we, we don't need more great teaching. We've heard enough teaching. The whole church, all of us, have heard more teaching than what we're obeying. Here's the bottom line. I'm here for a few days. We need an encounter with the manifest presence of God's glory. We need an encounter, gang. I mean, I can stand up here and do flips and teach and wow you with impressive words, but that, that isn't going to do anything. Good sermons don't change anyone. What's going to change people is an encounter with the manifest presence of God's glory. An encounter that literally turns our life around forever. An encounter 
And I, I get people come up to me and they say, well, brother, you know, I'm saved and I'm sanctified. Well, then is your life making a radical transformational difference? Because if it isn't, you're probably not sanctified and maybe not even born again. Let's just be real, gang. Do we want revival in this church here? Do we want the weighty presence of God's glory to move? Do, do Do we want this church to become an instrument of transformation in this community? So in 2007, I came back from a seven-week sabbatical. I was pastoring my church. I was at my church for 21 years, the church I started in Columbus, Ohio, that we just resigned. In, in 2007, I, I came back from a, from a seven-week sabbatical. And on this sabbatical, I had experienced for the first time in my life, I was 44 years old at the time, I had experienced for the first time in my life what we call the manifest presence of God's glory. You know the difference between manifest and omni. Omni means everywhere. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's here. He's in Walmart. He's, he's everywhere. Well, he's not in Cleveland. But anyway, he's everywhere. He's just everywhere. Everywhere. That's omni. What's manifest? The manifest presence is the revealed intensity of his presence, the awareness. It's, it's what Jesus says in John 14, 21. He will manifest himself to those he loves. Literally, the weighty, intensifying presence. It's like going out into the sun with a magnifying glass. What you are doing is is you're intensifying the sun. You ever do that and burn up ants like that? I know it's sick, sorry. Anyway, but it's, it's intensifying the sun. The weighty, manifest presence of God's glory is when he intensifies in a room. He's here, but the manifest presence would be even thicker I experienced that for the first time in my life 44 years old I came back to my church our church was a program driven church what I mean by that is we had we had a 10 piece band we had everything curtains opened and it was lights camera action man it was a 90 minute package it was a show that's all I knew that's how I built it so people came from all over and it was it was quite a presentation but we had everything except for the manifest presence and I experienced that for the first time in my life first time ever and so when I came back to my church after seven weeks I stood up and I told the people I said here's the deal I said, I want to go after the presence more than I do anything else. I want presence more than I want people. For all these years, we've been trying to attract people. How about let's attract the presence? For all these years, we've been trying to fill this place with people. How about let's try to fill this place with the presence? See the difference? Well, can you have both? Absolutely. But if you had to make a choice, which would you take? What are you going to seek first? And I'm just weeping. And I said to the church, I want us to go after the manifest presence of God's glory. Everybody came forward. We began to cry out, oh, God, we want your presence. We want your glory. We want your spirit to blow through this place. I've often said, be careful what you ask for. A lot of people want revival until revival comes. A lot of people cry out for God's glory until God's glory comes because when it comes, it comes his way, not your way. See, this is something we got to recognize, gang. A lot of times we operate in a wineskin that kind of locks us into how we think Holy Spirit should show up. But I got news for you. You can't box Holy Spirit in. You can't say, come Holy Spirit, and then tell him how to behave when he comes. And that makes people nervous. That makes people a little skittish because they want to try to put a leash on Holy Spirit. Good luck with that. So all these people came forward in our church, Mark, and we began to cry out, God, we want your glory. This was in 2007. 
I'm not exaggerating. You know how, you know how preachers sometimes exaggerate? He does, I don't, but I'm just simply saying that I'm not exaggerating. The very next Sunday, the Holy Spirit blew into our church in a way that I had never seen in my life. To put it mildly, it wrecked our church. It wrecked the music, it wrecked the preaching, it wrecked, it was just like, Wow. And it wasn't just one Sunday. February of 2007, it happened February and March and April and May and June and July and August and September. Every single Sunday for one year. Now, I'm a Nazarene. I've been raised Nazarene. I had never seen anything like this. People were being touched healed, delivered, set free. We had more people born again in one year than we did in all 10 years of trying to do it in the flesh. We had people healed, set free, delivered, sanctified, holy. We had people that, that got restored. We had, we had demonic oppression, just literally. Just people would come. Listen, people would leave different from the way they came. How about that? Can you imagine how many times people come to church and sing songs like we did today? Great worship, by the way. How many times would we come and sing songs about freedom and Him being the victorious one, but yet we leave in bondage? I'm here to tell you that when the glory comes, people will get free. We saw people get free. We saw people come to the altar. In fact, every service was ministry around the front. I had never seen it, gang. I had never seen such a hunger for God's presence Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. There would sometimes be 30, 40, 50 people on the floor crying out for his presence. We Listen, that first year, and, and, and I'm sorry for the nursery attendance, but like we didn't get out sometimes till 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon. But nobody cared. A lot of times they bring their children in and so the children would be a part of that and experience that. And why can't children experience that kind of a thing? Kids don't have a junior Holy Spirit. I think when the church stops feeding them pizza and showing them veggie tails and starts talking about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and expecting children to be baptized in the Holy Spirit like I've been doing in some places, listen, things will change in our children. Never seen anything like it. Never saw so many miracles. Never saw so many people get healed, touched. I remember during a worship time, someone came up, they threw their cane on the stage, and they just, they just, they just started dancing in freedom, and they, they left the cane there. We, we, we used it to turn the video projector off when the remote didn't work. People got touched, healed, delivered, set free. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Now, what I'm describing to you is not some paranormal activity. What I'm describing to you is normal church. I, I'm not describing to you something, well, that's kind of special. No, that's normal Christianity. That's the book of Acts. Do you realize that there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts and every single chapter but one has miraculous activity in it? Ladies and gentlemen, the outpouring and the blessing of the Holy Spirit and flowing and manifest power is normal Christianity. But the church in America has digressed into this American mediocrity where it's okay to function religiously without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not okay. A.W. Tozer tried to warn us in 1950 that the average church could function six months without the Holy Spirit and no one would know the difference. Because we know how to do church. We've got our format. We've got our structure. I always like to say, you know what a bulletin is? It's the agenda we create in case the presence of God doesn't show up. Then we know what to do. I so desperately want an encounter with God. Some of you are hungry for this. Some of you right now are rattled in your spirit. You're agitated and I can see it on your face. But I love you just the same. I want this place to have an encounter with the manifest presence of God's glory. We need his spirit to blow through us. 
the church of the Nazarene was established, birthed in the very fire of revival. Birthed in the very presence of God's glory. The, the overwhelming theme that P.F. Brzee used to scream at the church in the early days was, let's keep the glory down. We need the glory. How many, seriously, I, I don't do altar calls. I just, I don't know how to bow your heads and get all, I just, I'm just straight up, man. How, how many want this? Put your hand up. How many want this? If your hand's in the air, I want you to come forward. Come on. Can we just press around the altar right now? Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's just press around the altar. You can kneel. You can sit. You can stand. Whatever, whatever you want. Could we just could we just begin to cry out, church? Come on. I mean, we've got several services together, and we don't need good teaching. Come on, just begin. We need the presence. Come on, just begin to lift your voices, church. You know how to pray. Come on, come on. You know how to pray. Come on, lift your voices, church. Come on, lift your voices. Come on, Father. Come on, God. We need you so desperately. Come on, God, we need you. We, we need you in our church. We, we need you, God, and the American Christianity, Father, has, has settled, God. It's digressed. And so, Father, we come this morning, God, and, and God, we just humbly ask that your spirit, God, would move in a very remarkable way, Father. Come on, Father, we need you. We need you, God. We need you. We desperately need the weighty presence of your glory. Come on. Come on, Father, influence us. Come on, just pray that the Holy Spirit will influence you. Come on, pray that the Spirit of the living God will source you. Come on, pray that the Spirit of the living God will be your strength, will be your source. Come on, break an alliance with the flesh today. Come on, say, I don't want to be influenced by the flesh I don't want to digress into spiritual infancy. I, I don't want to digress into needing a bottle. I, I don't want to digress. I want to I grow. I want to develop. I, I, I want to I pursue you, oh God. Come on, Jesus, we need you. We need you, Father. Come on, begin to pray. Come, come on, pray for this church that... That in these days together, that truly we will have what is called a revival. Come on, church, pray that. Come on, God. We really want, we really want a revival. We do. We want your glory, God. We want your presence, Lord. God, it's been so long since we've seen, God, your glory. So long since we've seen your presence, oh God. That, Father, for, for some of us, God, we don't even recognize what that is, oh God. God, we need you. We desperately need you, God. So, Father, in these days that we have together, tonight, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Father, will you show up, God, in a very profound, powerful way, God. Take us, God, beyond where we are. American mediocrity, God. Take us beyond that. God, the, 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 the religious mindset, God, has so locked us into a paradigm, God, of mediocrity and lethargy. God, break us out of that, oh God, I pray. Holy Spirit, come and move powerfully on your people, God. Shake us loose, oh God, from the foundation, God, of, of, of compromise. Shake us loose, oh God, from the foundation, God, that we stand on, Father, that, that is, God, numb and, and unmoving, God. God, we pray that you would, you would shake us, God, like, like God you did in Acts 4.31. The place where they were meeting was shaken, God. And they began to speak the word with boldness, God. And they were all touched and filled with your Holy Spirit, God. We ask, God, that you move powerfully, God, on this church. Move powerfully, God, on each of us, God. And that we will, God, be shaken. The church will be shaken, God. And we truly will experience, God. God, what we can term a revival. 
God, a transformation, God, that not only affects every one of us, God, in this place, but it begins to affect the climate. It begins to affect our culture. It begins to affect, God, Muncie, God, Anderson. All of this area around here, God, begins to be touched by the weighty presence of your glory. Come on, God. Come on, we need you, God. Come on, God. Come on, God. There's, there's so much oppression in this, in this area, God. There, the, the enemy has had so much sway. The enemy has had a foothold in this area. Come on, God. It doesn't take anybody with any sense to realize, God, there's, there's strongholds and principalities, God, in this area and over this city, God. This is a religious culture. This is an area, God, where bondage and addiction, God, is rampant, God. Break it loose, oh God. Move, God, on the church, oh God. God, move powerfully. God, let your Holy Spirit move, God, in these precious people, God. And they, God, will become the recipients of change. They will become the instruments, God, of transformation, God. Come on, Father. We need revival in these days. We do. We desperately need a transformation, God. We do. We do, God. Move, God, on these precious people, young and old, God. Young and old, Father. Will you move, God? Will, won't you revive us again, God? Come. Transform, heal, deliver, set free, God. Break off oppression. Break off doubt. Break off fear. Break off unbelief. Come on, break off all that stuff, God, that gets into our thinking, God, God, that, that begins to limit, God, put a ceiling on what you want to do, God. We, God, we live with such a limited perspective, God. Give us a kingdom perspective, God. Give us a perspective from the realm of the heavens, God. Let us begin to see, God, from your perspective and not from, not from earth's perspective, God. Let us begin to see, God, from your perspective as to what could happen, God, in this area. Let us begin to see from heaven's perspective as to what could take place, God, in this community and in this neighborhood, God. Let us begin to see, God, from your lens, let us begin to see God from heaven's perspective, God, not from earth's perspective, Jesus. Come on, God. Let us begin to see truly what it would look like, God, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, God. Let us begin to see, God, what it would look like for people to truly be liberated from the tyranny of bondage and oppression and set free, filled with your Holy Spirit, God. Let us truly begin to see and experience what it would be like for people to cry out to you, God, with passion and fervor for your Spirit, God, to fall and to move not just on them but in this city, O oh God. So God, move in a mighty way, Father. Push back darkness like storm clouds and cause the light of your glory to be seen and exposed, God, in this atmosphere, God. Move, God, on people, God. Move on them. Stir them up, O oh God, from complacency. Stir them up, O oh God, from mediocrity, God. Stir them up, O oh God. I pray that people would not be able to rest, God. Even if, God, they don't like what was taught, stir them up, O oh God. Beckon them, woo them, draw them convict them. God, go after them, we pray in Jesus' name, and draw them to your presence, oh God. We need you, God. It's not the hour, God, to be soft. It's not the hour, oh God, to compromise. This is not the hour, God, to not speak truth. Truth is what sets us free, God. You said that in John 8, 32, God. And God, we pray that truth would liberate, God, every one of us. Liberate the church. Free us, God, to walk in your presence and power, Father. Move, God, in our lives. Move in our hearts, God. Transform our, our minds, our thinking, God. Come on, Father, you said in Romans 12, 2, that transformation will come through the renewing, the renovation of our minds. Begin to renovate our minds, Father. It's the very essence of repentance, Jesus, that you taught in Matthew 4, 17. Change your mind, you said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come on, Jesus. So, God, we do. We, we change our minds. Help us to change our minds. Help us to repent. Help us, God, to turn from where we've been going to where we need to go. Come on, God. We need you, Jesus. We need you.
Church, I was, listen to this, I, 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 was, I was teaching one Sunday, and I was talking about the glory, and this person in the choir loft interrupted me as I was teaching, and, and I wasn't taken back by it, but here's what they said. They said, what is the glory? You know why they asked that? Not because they were ignorant. They asked that because it had been so long since they'd ever seen it. They didn't know what it was. Guys, we need the glory. We need His presence. We need the weighty presence of God's glory so desperately in this hour. We really do. We really do. I'm not talking emotionalism. You understand. People used to denigrate P.F. Brzee, the founder of the Church of the Nazarene, because they said he was after emotionalism. Far from it. He was after an authentic encounter with the glory of God. You, you, you can cry, you can sit, you can laugh, you can do nothing. It's, it's not your emotions that we need. We need the glory. And the glory will be free to do with you what he wants to do, man. Some of you will weep, some of you will cry, some of you won't do anything. I don't give a rip about that, but I'm telling you, we need the glory. Right? Yes. We need the glory. I'm glad to be here. I really am. Sunday mornings are hard. They're really hard. They, they really are. I've been teaching out from my church, you know, since 2009. I've crisscrossed the nation several times. And this year now, itinerant, doing about 45 meetings a year. Sunday mornings are hard. They're hard. You know why they're hard? I'm just going to be straight with you because we have what's called Sunday morning attendees. And they come out of duty, not out of delight. They come because they're supposed to, and that's fine. I'd rather you be here than somewhere else. But my point being is, is a lot of times Sunday morning is filled with that atmosphere that's hard. It's difficult to break through because people have a mindset that church is, you know, an hour and a half. Then we go home. We did our thing for the week. Don't you understand Christianity is a lifestyle of living in the flow of the Spirit? I'm not patting myself on my back, but listen, man, I see miracles at Walmart. I, I see miracles at, at hotel lobbies. I pray over people at stores and restaurants. My mama died on my birthday last November. She was 88 years old. At 82 years old, listen to this. I'm about done, but check this out. 82 years old, my mama, my mama who had been walking with God for 65 years, 65 years at 82 in 2012, got a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit when Dan Bohai, you know who Dan is? He's my twin brother. <laughs> Dan, yeah, we look alike. We have sandals that look just alike, but that's, anyway. Dan prayed for my mama. My mama was 82 years old. She was at Corey Jones Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And Dan prayed for my mama, who was 82 years old, been walking with God for 65 years. And the power of the Holy Spirit fell on my mom in such a remark. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, she was just. She's like just on the ground. I was like, Mama, what, what are you doing? And she's just, I got touched with the Spirit. I was like, well, good. She went back to Columbus, and she called all of her friends who didn't go to our church and told them she got slain in the Spirit. And I said, you probably ought to dumb that language down. People aren't going to know what that means. But now listen to this. Here's what's more significant. She started praying for people everywhere she went. She started leading people to the Lord in her little apartment complex. My daddy had died in 2010. So she started leading people to the Lord. She started praying for them. People started getting healed and touched at Walmart. People started getting touched wherever she went. Two weeks before she passed, she died at 88. Two weeks before she passed, hospice came in to wash her. And one of the nurses had like carpal tunnel, like one of those little things on her arm. And my mom came to and recognized it and said, oh, honey, let me pray for you. And she prayed, and the power of God touched that nurse. That's just normal Christianity. That's not, well, that's just your mom. No, that's all of us who flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, understand, Holy Spirit wants to use every single one of you. Not just in here. This is training ground. It's now we go out and do the, our ministry. 
We go to Walmart. We go to the marketplace. You guys who have jobs, you are at the advantage. It's clergy who are at the disadvantage. You guys are the market ministers. You're the ones who can make transformation happen in this community. You're the ones who can release the presence of God's glory. Everywhere you go, you can release the atmosphere of the presence. You, you can just give it away. Give away what you're most full of. Doesn't that excite you? Come on, man. Well, I think I'm done. Mark said I could go till 2.30, but... Yeah, he's paying me by the hour. Well, in that case... <laughs> Jeez. So we're going to come back tonight. Listen, here's the deal. Don't come tonight out of curiosity. I, that sounds harsh, and I don't mean for it to. Come tonight because you want to have an encounter with God. Does that sound good? Okay. Bless your heart. Pastor.